Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is an award-winning playwright, actor, musician, and teacher. It's Jack Canfora, everybody. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited. Glad you could be here tonight, because you're here to talk about... Guys and Dolls. Yes, sir, when you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll when you spot a john waiting out in the rain chances are he's insane as only a john can be for a jane when you meet a gent paying all kinds of rent for a flat that could flatten a taj mahal call it sad call it funny but it's better than even money that the guy's only doing it for some doll classic american music uh, may possibly the classic american musical depending on who you ask it's it's pretty yeah. uh pretty seminal in that way and i'll start at the beginning uh how did guys and dolls come into your life well it was um oh I, it was my first high school musical and um i was a sophomore and i got cast as sky masterson and it is probably wow. the first and last time I've ever been uh, where I had to be treated like I was cool. So I think uh, <laughs> that, that alone is worth it. It also happens to be some of the best music written, I think, ever. But um, sure. I, I, I prefer, but that is that pales in comparison to having to have people pretend I was cool. <laughs> yeah, you never forget the first time people pretend you're cool, right? It, it, yeah. it, it sticks with you. <laughs> Right. And you Especially think, if it's the only thing. You think I got to chase that feeling, right? Which is naturally oh, right. right. Why you became a writer, right? Because everybody thinks writers. Yes. Cool. Right. <laughs> it's, well, our, it's our defining yeah. characteristic. Not like Sky Masterson cool, though. Sky Masterson well, cool is, is, is next level. It, it is. I'll tell you what, though. He is like, that is next level Next level cool Sky Master. He's he's sort of like proto Fonzie. You if they had jukeboxes, you imagine he'd be able to to get one started with a with a punch. And and, and he just you know your introduction to him, you think well, how can anyone be cooler when he when he makes the he has the audacity and the wit to make the bet with Nathan about and and the self and then psych, psychological insight into Nathan to know. Well, you can't name your the color of your tie. I'll give you this. Oh, if you can tell me the name of the color of your tell tell me the color of your tie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's confidence. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it and it's the yeah. that I like the. Uh, I mean, he's got that great advantage that a lot of characters have, uh, where the, he gets talked about a lot before you see him, so you already have an yeah. impression of him, which is that's nice. A great trick. Shakespeare you uses that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's a real. I mean, it's. I think it's what Orson Welles why he described his character in the Third Man as the star because they spend the first half of the movie talking about him before he even shows, and then he's there all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, The yeah. Great Gatsby is nine chapters long, and you don't meet him until the third chapter. But right. ever, it's all anyone cares about. Yeah, is, you know, it's, it yeah. creates a nice air of mystery about a character, which is exactly which is fun. Right. And then he immediately gets. I mean, like the great, the the great trick of having him, like you say, he comes in and he's cool and he's knowledgeable. And then he 
immediately falls for Nathan's ploy. He's hubris yes. takes him immediately. Yeah. Yes. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a nice yeah. way to set up a show because the show has a lot of characters. And that you have Tremendous to know and characters. care about. Yeah. 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 And they're all such, yeah. such clearly drawn, fun people. It's beautiful writing. I mean, it really is. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's just beautiful writing. And, um, and of course, many musicals have, have, have terrific books too. But I mean, there there is, I mean, like Damon Runyon, of course, is based on it. So like, there's just, there is a larger than life quality to all these characters, but it's somehow grounded and you believe it. It's, mm. uh, it's rare in like a straight play, let alone a musical, to have characters that sort of firing off each other so well. Well, and then it's based on a couple different stories too. It's such a, an yeah. interesting blend of of those yeah. sort of things. I mean, it, it really taps it. The reason I said it was possibly the, the quintessential American musical mm -hmm. is like the Music Man, it really taps into a sort of concept of Americana, the the yeah. you know, yeah. the American yeah. gangster as nice guy. I mean, as like right, as, the as, drifter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's my second favorite musical, actually. So um, it's Music Man? Oh, okay. Maybe he says more. Maybe he says a lot about me, but um, yeah. I mean, to me, to me, that and, and I'm and as this interview will bear out, I'm not an expert in interviews, but and I, well, that has already been borne out there. I'm not an expert on musicals of mm -hmm. any stretch of imagination, but the in both cases, both musicals, I think their openings, especially the Music Man, revolutionary and mm -hmm. brilliant, and again, talking about this person and building him up and building him up. And then uh, and then we meet him. And then, of course, he, he's incredibly cool. He does it in the best possible way. Well, and as you know, I mean, it's a it's a good trick. But as a you have to be able to then deliver, you know, you can't right. just like talk about a guy and talk about a guy and then like have him come on stage and, and fall flat. He's got to, yeah. you know, if you're going to spend a lot of the show asking who is this guy, you know, who is Gatsby, who is Harry Lyme, mm -hmm. who is Harold Hill, right. you right. have to then be able to Deliver. answer that yeah over a two-hour period and the answer has to be compelling <laughs> yeah that's right yeah yeah exactly right exactly you set right. yourself up for success but you might also be setting yourself up for a trap if you can't like get absolutely in there. so had you always done theater was that just always something you were like all through high school for the most part i i started out i mean i did a couple of plays when i was a little kid um but that was my big uh, my big break at john glenn high school uh I, you know i got to I, you know, I was always in work after there when I was in high school and then I went to college. Um, I went to college and I did some acting there. I did a lot of acting there. But the weird thing is when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I was more thought of myself more as a, as, as a musician, although I don't know that other musicians mm. thought of me that way. And I, uh, I really wanted to be a songwriter. I really, as I've said, another places in many places all my life. I said, I when I was like 18, I was desperate to be John Lennon or Elvis Costello, but mm. those jobs were taken. And so um, what I, <laughs> so I thought of acting as something that I really loved to do and had fun doing. And I thought I was, okay, yeah, I was okay at it. Uh, but for some reason, I just never, I always thought it would somehow fall away and it just never did. Mm. And I remember seeing uh, Kenneth Branagh's movie of Henry V. And there was something about that that made, made me it sort of struck a chord and I said, oh, so this is what I'm going to do. Um, mm. uh, by that, I don't mean be a major film star, but, uh, you know, so like that's that like it was enough to ignite the passion. So really what I want to do is I, I think I need to do theater. Mm. Yeah. That's a very theatrical film. I mean, it's a with the obviously with Derek Jacobi's yeah. opening and, and oh. appearance throughout. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 
wild. I yeah. mean, it's one of the it's, more theatrical Shakespeare plays, which is saying something, but it's got period. Yeah. You know, so exactly. much. The chorus alone just gives you that kind of. Oh, it's great. And it's in a theatrical it's, sense. Yeah. And like, it's, it's such a brilliant conceit of Shakespeare's. He was good uh, about, yeah. you know, he basically starts. Starts off talking about setting up expectations. It's one of the greatest jobs of setting expectations ever because he starts off by saying, please don't expect much. We've got a mm -hmm. tiny theater. There's not much going to go on. You have to forgive us. You're going to have to work with us. Uh, and then, of course, he delivers, you know, one of the greatest, like, really, he's like the first superhero, you know, mm -hmm. Henry the, uh, the yeah. way Shakespeare portrays him, you know, and gives sure. all these juicy speeches. Yeah. So it's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, my, it's, that's my great insight. Henry V is a great play. It's a great play, right? Yeah, you heard it here yeah, first. Yeah. This <laughs> First time today you're going to hear that. Yeah, I'm probably. filled with insights like that. I know that you are very interested in um, stories as a cultural tool, stories that like sort of, yes. you know, bind communities together, that keep things kind of unified, the stories mm -hmm. that we tell each other, which is why I thought it was a, it was a very... Uh, telling choice that you chose guys and dolls which i think has a number of those like music man i say the number of those aspects in it um yeah of the sort of the because i mean these are gangsters and guys and dolls but they're the nicest yeah. gangsters yeah. you're ever possibly going to meet yeah. except for maybe big exactly. julie like they're pretty nice and guys he's charming right yeah even he's kind of charming in his own way and he he's like the roughest guy and then of course you know, sky masterson punches him out so right. um and it's funny my best <laughs> friend played julie and uh so that was extra satisfying when i got to punch oh, there him out you go um it was a lot of fun <laughs> sure night after yeah night. but i mean it's an ecosystem it is a community right because mm -hmm. in guys and dolls it really embodies that. i mean obviously howard hill was literally walking into a community but yeah. there is this ecosystem they all know each other even though they don't you know some they're different from different cities and blah 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 but they all know each other they all have reputations there's a hierarchy um you know so there's a lot of connection and there's a lot of i mean very established like you say roles within the community and the whole problem you stuff. know that the mm -hmm. show has is that they can't find like i mean it's the they can't find a place to have this crap game this very famous yeah. crap game yeah and you know it's it, it it is. I mean, that's the sort of conceit that runs through the whole thing, obviously. But it is the, these very sweet, lovable gangsters who go about these sort of nefariously illegal things that right. the stakes of which right. are incredibly low. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, that the, they're that's established very well. That's the thing is they're yeah. established very well, so that you understand the stakes are high, even though like you know it, it's not really that big a deal. Probably ultimately. Right. Right. Well, if he only had a lousy million little grand, he could be a millionaire. I mean, that's you it's know, a great line. There's a great line. Well, I'm like, Frank, there's not there's, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a lyric that in that show that isn't a great line. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's so it's instantly enjoyable. And, and one of the things because I, I don't write musicals, but one of the things I learned as a playwright from musicals is um, and it was it was it was put into sort of concrete form for me when I read an article by John uh, Guare and I thought, God, it's true. Is that the, he claims that the second song of every musical is the want song. You have to establish mm -hmm. what the characters want. And mm -hmm. guys and dolls is a beautiful example of that. Uh, it tells you what the stakes are, you know, lower, higher in between, um, you know, and also guys and dolls is great. Cause you're right. Objectively, the stakes are pretty low, but that, that doesn't matter. The stakes are huge to them. 
And if you are invested in the characters, you'll be invested in whatever stakes there are. It's it's a little bit like Hitchcock's MacGuffin, right? It's it's a thing mm-hmm. the protagonist wants, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't matter what it is. We don't care right. what it is. It's it's we just care that they care. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very very true. I mean, it is this uh, the the wonderful nature of of the of the musical with its its sort of very mm. clear structure that mm. lesser I mean knew so well as oh. a, as somebody who can yeah. you know. Again, another you're here to hear first. Frank Lesser is a good songwriter, but uh, <laughs> but it really yeah. is. True. I think I think we can sometimes look at somebody like Frank Lesser and be like, oh yeah, he's great, and not really stop to appreciate. No, he's really yes. he's really great. Like seriously, like really look at great. this for a second. Yeah, and, there are some and, of his lyrics that Cole Porter would have been jealous of, and you know, and I think that um, that's exactly right. I think you can be. Uh, I can't be, but one can be the kind of artist where you're so consistently producing excellence that mm-hmm. it becomes almost boring, not boring, but just sort of derogare and someone, Oh yeah, it's another great, great thing. And it sort of loses its luster because it, it becomes so expected and automatic. But if you unpack the songs just from guys and dolls, for example, th- those are stupendously good songs. And first of all, each one advances the plot in a way mm-hmm. that you know, is, you know, of course, that's the first requirement in a way, but it's it's not always easy to do. And the melodies are stunningly beautiful and incredibly catchy, and in the um, and so inventive and stylistically, like Fugue for Tinhorns, for example. I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do. If he says the horse can do, can do, can do. I take him Valentine, cause on the morning line, the guy has got him figured at five to nine. But if you let me tap, he wants to buy a half according to this here in this telegraph. And, but the lyrics, oh my goodness, the lyrics are so um, incredibly clever, but if they were just clever, that would only be so good, but they're incredibly heartfelt and insightful too. Well, and they, they, they serve so many, there's so many different kinds, as you said, like few mm-hmm. for tin horns in the round has to, you know, you have to come up with these phrases like can do yeah. and likes mud that, that repeat well, but yeah. then you go to a song like Adelaide's lament where she's ostensibly reading out of a book and you know, we've all, you've seen songs like that before, but it's still, he's, he manages to write a lyric that, it still rhymes. It's still a lyric, but it also still kind of sounds like she, uh, something you might read yeah. in a book. A medical book. It says here, the female remaining single, just in the legal sense, shows a neurotic tendency. See note, see note, note. Chronic organic syndromes, Toxic or hypertense involving the eye, the ear, the nose, and throat. In other words, just from wondering whether the wedding is on a roof, a patient can develop a cough. And I really, I was interested as I got to know more about musicals and really dig into musicals, how it's so interesting to me that how evenly spread out the songs are because yeah. if if i asked you who the lead of guys and dolls is 
you you may say Sky, you might say Nathan Detroit. It's sort of you know, but like the big Act Two show stopping number goes to nicely, nicely Johnson. For the people who said sit down, sit down, you're rocking a boat. People who said sit down, sit down, you're rocking a boat. And the devil will drag you under by the sharp lapel of your checkered coat. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking a boat. And that is like a character we've seen the whole time. He's had some things yeah. to do. We sung some duets, but he's not. You know, this hasn't really been established, but we're going to give him the big act two number. I mean, after Luck Be a Lady, too, which is another big act two number from Sky. But I it was is about like, to say, yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah, I don't want to. Something I like to call Luck Be a Lady. Um... <laughs> luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck, if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck, let a gentleman see how nice a dame you can be. I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with. Luck, be a lady with me. Arguably the greatest song ever sung in a sewer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. Right. Not until Les yeah. Mis would we find songs like that sung in a sewer again. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, uh, very different apples and oranges, I would say. But yes, yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what I love about I mean, this is a little talking not about talking the album, but you think about the movie, which mm-hmm. is adorable. I and mean, I don't adorable sounds patronizing. It's wonderful, mm-hmm. um, especially when you know that Brando was was irritating, intentionally irritating Sinatra the whole time. But yes. <laughs> but I mean, what are, in what other musical would you have Stubby K singing sit you know or singing this major song and there's a chorus in the back and one of the members in the chorus just singing background news is Frank Sinatra, right? You know, that's just there. You know, just oh, yeah, Sinatra. There. He's like an extra in that scene. Yeah. Well, and they all yeah. they do the thing where they they do give Sinatra in the movie part of Guys and Dolls. They give him yes. more songs than he would have yes. on the stage. But it is really telling that you can't Nathan Detroit can't sing that song. That's not no, no. Nathan's song in in any way. It, it yeah. he, he has to be, you know. He's he's the guy setting this all up. He's not, you know. He's the guy who runs the crap game. He right. he plays craps a little in the in the scene when he has yeah. to against right. the blank dice, which is another great scene. But yeah. <laughs> he's he's kind of a fast. He's the guy who sets it all up. So he's got to yeah. be the one to set up nicely, nicely to sing yeah. the song. And yeah. if if it you can't give that song to Sinatra. It's not really in his voice either, but like no, you, no, Sinatra's not a tenor, but uh, first right and Stubby K, man, what a singer! Oh my just gosh, clear pipes on that. I mean, just not even rely. He can just nail it without even resorting to vibrato. He's just punching it out. Oh there. yeah, he's um, all over it, and it brilliant. Singer. It's it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous, and the it and it's really a great. It it really makes a lot of the movie. I mean. Say what you will, but Brando's performance of "Luck Be a Lady" obviously we're not we we don't have to litigate that here. No, exactly. no, I mean he's uh, you know he, he's no Canfora. No, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you gave him a run for his money. That's lost to history. It's lost to right. history. It's like, and that's a good thing for me. I just find it always fascinating is that apparently Sinatra, first of all, who wanted to play Sky Masters right. terrible, and uh, and Brando of course played him and. Um, and he, Sinatra apparently was famous for having very little patience for extra takes. He wanted to take one or two takes and he was done. And Brando knew this. And so Brando in their scenes would in, uh, intentionally 
mess up line after line after line, especially like around five o'clock when Sinatra's dying to get out of there. And he'd say, oh, sorry, Frank, I can't. Um, yeah. I don't know what's going on with me today. And, and Sinatra, you know, Brando was one of the few people in America who Sinatra could not get angry at, yeah. you know, and not, and, not, and not, you know, treat as an underling. And Brando is just, you know, enjoying the hell out of it. So I, I find that fun, too. Oh my gosh! It is. It is. That is a. It's also so true, though, to that movie. Like to mm-hmm. be keeping it. I. I really do. Like normally, those stories kind of make me go. Ugh. But like, th- I like how he's keeping Brando's keeping it light on that set because that yeah. and it tra- it does translate. I mean, the the movie is very like you. You, you know, I, I think your term when you called it cute was not not derogatory because it is very no. light. It's it's yeah. very fun. That's that's what mm. it has to be. Yeah, it has to stay on that on that level because it's already kind of absurd. The the whole sort of setup and them being engaged for 14 years, like the stuff about going to Cuba. And like, you know, it's a very typical romantic comedy kind of story. And if you don't keep it light, it's it's all going to fall apart. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And of course, that dynamic is very it's very sky Nathan dynamic, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, and I would. And also, I don't think you feel as cringy about it because, you know, it's Sinatra. You know, it's it's right. tough to feel a lot of oh, poor Frank. He's such a yeah. he's such a big. <laughs> you know? He did fine, I think. I think. Yeah, Frank I think he fine. was OK. Yeah. He still got an Oscar. He did OK in his acting yeah. career. It was, you know, it worked out yeah, for him. Things it, turned worked, out. it worked. Out. Yeah. So how did you transition from from uh, from actor to writer? What was that transition like? Uh, well, I was um, I studied I studied Shakespeare. uh Shakespearean acting and most of the work I got and I and I did not get uh nearly as much work as um I had hoped <laughs> but I um most of the work I got I was I was either doing Shakespearean plays or oddly enough I was doing a lot of improv comedy and there was so an mm. improv group uh that was that we started uh, my friends and I and then I it was like 26 or so 25 26 and I started turning my hand saying, well, let's see if I can write a sketch. Um, and uh, I'd always wanted to be a writer in one form or another. When I, was, when I was a little kid, I thought I wanted to write novels and short stories. And then I wanted to be a songwriter. And so it was, I always had sort of an ambition to kind of write something. And I had once or twice, once or twice tried to write some, like a play or a scene. And I found out it was hard to do. And so after about, you know, an hour, I, I'd written a page and it was, unbelievably awful i mean you just you feel like you were you felt a chill in the room when you read it that's how bad the dialogue was and and so i just sort of gave up i said well obviously i can't do this um and then i said let me try it one more time and i do think i'm lucky that that i found that i could do it and um at that point because i think if i was my mid-20s at that point i think if you don't get started at some point you know the window closes a little bit i mean i i got a late start for as a writer I, I would argue 25, 26 is a late start to start mm-hmm. writing plays. Um, and I really, and so we kept up, I wrote sketches and I wrote a lot of them and I, w- I was in a different sketch group and we played regularly in the village, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, the, uh, uh, the sketch group disbanded. And at that point, by that point I was married and had a baby son and I, so I had to get a, you know, a, a quote unquote real job. And so I was teaching. And so it was over for me. I couldn't really act anymore. I couldn't go on auditions. Um, so I thought, well, how can I stay um, somehow connected, even if it's only in my own head? And, and writing was the only logical place to go. And I thought, well, let me see if I can actually write a play. And so I went from there. And then very fortunately, 
my first, the first full-length play I wrote was uh, was lucky enough to be produced by a small theater in New Jersey, but it's pretty well regarded called New Jersey Rep. And so that was a big boost to my confidence and a suggestion that I should keep trying it. And so it sort of went from there. And I also found that I that I just loved it and I got a real sense of satisfaction out of it. And that's not to say that, you know, four days out of five, it's not a slog, but even when I'm not enjoying it, I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm teaching uh, screenwriting at Catholic University right now. And oh. one of the my students keep asking me, the undergrads who have never written anything before, mm-hmm. uh, one of them asked me the other day, when do you stop hating it? And uh, <laughs> I said, Thank that's incredibly question. hard for me to answer. Yeah, because it's a yeah. very, very good question. Because I sort of said the like, it's it's a lot of times it's miserable and it's a slog. And like you say, and it's tough. And there's almost nothing I'd rather be doing. <laughs> so like, that's, that's sort of the... That's the feeling yeah. of it. it yeah. Um, but it is that weird thing of like having to learn. I said to a student the other day, like you have to you have to learn that like we got into this because we watched like you say, you watch Henry the Fifth, you watch something and it makes you feel a certain way. And you go, mm. I want to feel like I want to make things that feel that way. Right, right. But nothing you make is going to make you feel that way. Exactly and, right. And not for a while. And, anyway. Yeah. 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 And well, then you learn you learn what the other side is. You learn how to sit and watch something you didn't be, and it makes you feel a better kind of way. Like if you go it over that hump, it's a different, yeah. but it's still not that same. You know that that because you have you're too close to it. You wrote it. You're inside yeah, of it. You're not, not watching. I'm gonna surprise you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You, you know how it ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's like knowing. It's like knowing. It's like designing a magic trick. Like you, you can't be wowed by it. You know, it, it it's completely yeah, within you. Right? But you Except- can get a yeah, different satisfaction yeah absolutely and and i would argue that the only moments that were that may be sort of true in terms of like feeling surprised is you know and i think we've all had the moments where as as writers were writing something and something happens and we're like oh i didn't know that was going to happen mm-hmm. and um that's that's fascinating and that to me those are the really exciting ones and inevitably they're the ones that are more interesting because it's not as conscious and controlled um it's something that comes out and of course you have to go back afterwards and edit and make sure and shape it but the but but the like the sudden i think this play is about this and then you find out after week two oh it's actually something very different the characters mm-hmm. are telling something very different and you know when when it, when i have to choose between my instincts and what what the characters want you know i think i'm always best served by listening to the characters more than my own you know self Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's that in what you're talking about. I forget who it was. Maybe it was Ira Glass, but pointed out that the trouble about being someone starting out uh, is that if you want to be an artist, odds are you have great taste and you re- and you recognize greatness, mm-hmm. and so therefore you want to produce it, and you just you can't unless you're Mozart, you can't right away, um, and you're you're going to fail all the time. Like Beckett says, you know, fail, try again, fail again, fail better, <laughs> you know, and yeah. Um, and so it's, it becomes incredibly frustrating. Um, and it's always, I think it always should be a little bit frustrating, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, you should have things that feel good too. If you're feeling nothing but frustration all the time, then maybe you should take a break. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's always got to be a challenge. And that's one of the interesting things to me about, and I, and I don't know how you feel about it as, as, a, as a writer. For me, if I write, uh, every time I finish a play, I, I think to myself, well, who knows if I can write one another one? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe that I can, but there's always a chance that I can't because 
it's there's definitely a lot of craft and carpentry to it, but there's got to be a certain uh, essential other thing that requires a spark of imagination, and those you can't will, or at least I can't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is. It's not like say you know building a table, where once you learn how to build a table, you know how to build a table. Now you can make nicer ones or smaller ones, and some might come out a little bit better than the other, but you can make a table with a play. It you know if you're that formulaic, it will be useless as a play right so there's always a sort of no matter how often you're practiced at it there's always an element of well i'm rolling the dice here we go Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's so hard to do how many people it's very evident in the world of musicals if you look at like all the hit musicals that have ever been how many are written by more than one person you know like angela Mm -hmm. webber notwithstanding like it's you know you have mega hits and then someone comes back. I always think of Les Mis, which I brought up before, but like those guys wrote that. They wrote Miss Saigon. It was a little bit less well-regarded, but still did very, very well. And then what else have they done? You know, like it, yeah. it is, you know, they've done other stuff. Obviously they've kept going, but like replicating that, that success. So much of it has to do not only with talent, but with timing. Like what you make is what we want now. And we have so little control over that. Right. And also, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just making this up, but I, my, a speculation about as to partially my that why that may be the case, is that your first one is you've had your whole life to come up with your first one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, so it's yeah. the best. It's decades of thought and 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 effort. You know whether or not it's con- most of it unconscious, but then you do okay, great, and now like two years later, I've got to start all over again. Yeah, which is why I'm glad I made a conscious choice never to start out with a successful masterpiece. So I'm so glad I <laughs> I made that choice to you know what I don't want to I don't want to peak too early. So I think I'm going to write this, and so it's okay. <laughs> but that's but, well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're obviously being facetious, but it's true though. Like I think there's a great gift in not having your first thing be a smash. You know, Absolutely. like it should be Absolutely. it should be enough of a personal success. Right. to get Don't you on you. to the next one yeah but it should really be a proof of concept kind of thing especially with the play mm-hmm. i feel like you get it up you get it up somewhere where like people notice it and they look at it and they like it and then it's done it's like okay mm-hmm. now you now you do the next one it's one of the great things i don't know if you watched the film version of uh tick tick boom that was on last year oh no, i missed it i missed it it's it's on netflix it's incredible it's the mm. best it's one of the best things about writing I've ever seen because Ooh. it ha- it has this moment of it, it not to spoil it's a true story so it's not really spoiling yeah. it but um Jonathan Larson gets this workshop up that he's been working on and he's hoping it will take this musical he's been working on for x number of years mm. to Broadway and everybody mm. comes and the workshop and the reading are a big hit but the big reaction out of it is we can't wait to see what your next thing is yeah oh. and it really like it crushes him, but his his agent in this moment gives this beautiful by Judith Light gives this amazing mm. speech where she's like, "What you do is you write the next one, and then the next one's a little better, and then you write the next one, and you have to just keep writing the next one." And yeah. it's such a wonderful piece of like ad- advice, but also real life truth in that moment of like, yeah. "You're not gonna you you have to just keep doing it. Eventually, something will click if you just keep." pushing and pushing so much of this i'm sure you know this have experienced this yourself so much of success in this business is just never giving up you know there's yeah, yeah. <laughs> not it's walking away entertainment yeah, is a really war of attrition and yeah, yeah. you know i think that you have to for your own sanity you have to measure success in inches um mm-hmm. just having finished a draft of something is impressive yeah. and you, know, you need to i mean you don't 
you don't ever want to rest on your laurels on that. Uh, and you want to keep pushing and going further, like you said, but you also have to sort of like claim the little victories because it's such a variable, changeable, random world that, mm -hmm. you know, you know, if, if you're hoping, if you're, if your metric for success is being on Broadway and having a smash hit, well, you're probably going to be disappointed. Um, and, you know, and that's not to say you can't have that as a goal, but that can't be the be all and end all. You have to, you have to sort of, sort of uh, develop a sort of constellation of things that make a success. And I, I'm talking a really good game here and I don't always follow it. Right. Well, but, right. That's the secret. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, there have been times. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, there have been times when I have, and I, rare, but there have been times when I've, for example, written a play that I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy with. And, um, I have really good actors willing to do it. And I'm just doing a reading and I try to take a moment, even if it's just like a table read, um, that I have really talented, talented actors willing to give their time and money and not, well, not money. Uh, right. <laughs> believe me, not money. Well, time is uh, money. Okay. No, time is money. That's true. <laughs> right. Uh, that's why I'm always out of time. And, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and, but they're willing to give their time and their talent uh, which in many cases I've been fortunate enough to meet and work with really talented people to something I wrote. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of wonderful. And I should, I should, I really try hard to appreciate that in the moment. And I do most of the time, but then more moments come. <laughs> and so, you know, right. you're disappointed. And I don't know if you feel this way too, but there have been moments uh, where I have been very discouraged. You know, I, I had a couple of plays off Broadway in the uh, around 2012 and 13 and a play option by the Schubert's for Broadway. Mm. And then the reading was um, uh, the investors reading was, was a disaster. And mm. so, you know, there's ways in which I have been closer to sort of quote unquote making it 10 years ago. And that can be a very depressing thought. And so, mm. so let's dwell on that for a moment. No, but um, <laughs> let's dedicate moments. some time to this. No, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> can you just like kind of like a test pattern sound? Go. Would you like to sing a song? Like, would you like you know? I like would. express it. In that yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I need luck to be a lady. That's the thing. Um, there you go. Yeah. So there have been moments where, I, frankly, I have said, you know what? I don't want to write another play. I don't want to do it. But what I have found is that. I end up doing it anyway. You know, I end up doing it anyway. And it's just um, to not do it after a while, I, you get like a, I get a physically weird feeling that I mm -hmm. need to try and write something. Um, yeah. My guess is that will no ever go away. It certainly doesn't seem like it does. I mean, people, you know, who write, who are, we would call quote unquote successful writers for their whole mm -hmm. life, like never really stopped writing. It mm -hmm. just seems like it's almost compulsory. And I agree with that immensely that I feel like if I haven't written anything in a while, it sort of gets to be like, oh, man, I really should do that. Like, I haven't have what am I what am I waiting on? You know, what am I? Yeah. I need to do something. I? What am right. I? Yeah, because yeah. it's what you you know, I can't audition. I'm not an actor like I can't. That's how, this is how I enter the the stratosphere. I have to make yeah. the thing that they're going to audition for. Like, that's the yeah. that's the way this works. And so in a weird way, they're waiting on me is sort of how I have to look at yeah. like, you know, they're, they're, right? they're, you know, people are counting on me. They're not. But, you know, it's a nice way to sort of <laughs> give you that sort of yeah. that sense of like, well, I better do it then because people are waiting for this. Like nobody's waiting for this, but that's fine. I can delude myself a little bit to to get right. started. Well, and then once you get started, you're in good shape. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's a constant 
battle. I I'm I'm not going to mention the playwright's name because that'd be horrifying. But I was uh, talking to a a playwright one time, or, or was out in a in a group at a and they were she was talking to her friends and she was describing the new play that she's working on, and uh, she was taking it very seriously. And then she paused and said, without the slightest trace of irony, you know. I think the world needs plays like that. And I uh, had to get medical treatment for rolling my eyes. <laughs> because, you know, that's to me the exact wrong attitude. The world isn't waiting on you. The mm -hmm. world doesn't need anything from you. Um, the world yeah. will be just fine. Um, but that also shouldn't stop you from saying, I would like to try and meet the world where it is mm -hmm. and, um, and, and put things out. And that's not to say I don't take my work seriously. I, I really do and that's not to say that i don't have confidence in my work because i often do but that isn't that to me isn't taking your work seriously it's taking yourself seriously and mm. um and this person has had a modicum of success but and in a moderate success but um certainly at least as much as mine but to me that i just can't understand that mentality uh mm. of you know the world is waiting for me um mm -hmm. that's I mean, I guess that whatever gets you through the night, right? But um, right, whatever gets you out of bed. I mean, it, it, yeah. it it's it's such a hard. Well, it's a, I've talked about this before on the show. It's such a hard line to walk between the well, what I I used to call arrogance, but people don't like it, so I call it chutzpah of being able to say what I have is worth your time. Like I've yeah. written this thing, and you need to read it. Balancing that with the the you know egoless existence we want to live in this world to be good people that struggle is real that oh, is an absolute you know that's a real that's struggle essential struggle i i couldn't yeah. agree more and i so it's something i'm always constantly doing and maybe to a fault i'm constantly you know conversationally trying to sort of always be aware of if i sound pompous and then always sort of any statement i make i'm qualifying 50 times i may be overdoing the lesson but yeah i mean you're right I, I've said before, and people have gotten angry at me, but uh, it's true. I said, listen, writing a play and isn't is fine, but if you show it to people and actually then expect it to be produced, and it's inherently an act of narcissism. It's mm -hmm. it's saying, yeah, it's, it's saying to everyone, shh, listen to me for a while. These people yeah. have 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 been paid to memorize all of my words, and now you're going to sit there and pay for the privilege and be quiet and take it in, and. Yeah. The difference is, I think, I try to realize what a lucky son of a bitch I am when that's happening um, and how luck, you know, plays a part of it. That's not to diminish the fact that I think I, I write well and that and all the work I've put in. But it's another thing to say, yes, yes, listen, you, you need to hear what I have to say. Yeah. And, you know, that's to me skin mm -hmm. crawl. Yeah, it, it's that it's it's crossed whatever that line is, whatever, you know, for the. The, the the line between the right. sort of basic arrogance you need to be in entertainment period yeah. and the, the the thing that makes you insufferable you know as a person yeah. to be around right. yeah which hopefully none of us want to be i'm sure there are people yeah. who, who do but but hopefully we all want to be be fun to be around because that's 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 sort of the deal. yeah yeah so i mean you've been you've been doing this longer than i have uh, and i i have experienced um you know, a, a, a the the grand question I think we're all experiencing, which is what is the role of live theater now yeah. as we write plays? You know, what is the uh, what's the what's the purpose of it, or what is it? Not even what's the purpose, but where, what's its place in the in the grander mm. sort of sense of things? Um, 
And I know with uh, with new normal rep, you guys have been been sort of actively wrestling with the marriage between live yeah. theater and new media. Uh, but how did how did you get involved? Like, how did you decide to dive into that that wrestling ring? Right. Uh, absolutely. Well, to me, I mean, uh, you talked about communities earlier. Uh, I think if I had to explain one of my main motivation for tr- going into theater or plays, even going back to high school, is a sense of community, a sense of belonging. Um, I think a lot of theater people were kind of misfits, um, you know, in a lot of ways and outsiders. Not not as a little kid, I moved around constantly. And so I was always the odd man out. And um, that's, you know, that's stayed true to this very day. That's kind of what I love most about it is the people I know and the relationships I forge. And so during the pandemic, about by April, my mid-April, I, I was going crazy. And I started off in March saying, you know what, this would be a great opportunity for me to unplug and settle down. And I'm, I, I, it's horrible what's going on, but it'll be an opportunity for growth. By April 15th, I was screaming at the television. And so <laughs> I reached out to um, uh, some good friends of mine and uh, and a wide ar- array of friends, uh, actors mostly. And uh, my only criteria is that A, that I wanted them to be good actors and B, more importantly, they wanted I wanted them to be people whom I enjoy spending time with. And I said to them, why don't we just read a play every week? Get together on Zoom. It can be any play you want. Anyone can play any role they want. It will just hang out and, you know, uh, you know, have a little, keep our muscles alive. Um, and a good friend of mine, Eleanor Handley, who's uh, was in the group and still is in the group. And she's in the, in the company. She's on the board. She described it very beautifully when she said, you know, it was like we built a little campfire in the desert of that pandemic, you know, and we sort of gathered around it and and told stories. And in that act of telling stories, I think we became really acutely aware of how important that is for people to basically feel connected and stay sane, you know, and, and it's our, you know, it, it's a whole bunch of things that is certainly people better qualified than I am could explain, but it's how we interpret the world. It's how we understand the world. It's, and it's how we understand ourselves in relation to the world a lot of the time. And so by the summer, we realized, you know, this is a pretty good stable of actors here, you know, because mm-hmm. in, because that's where we keep the actors and stables because, right. of course, uh, well, I, mean, because with one. I mean, it's, you know, exactly. I mean, you've met it. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, and so we worked on, we put together a thing and at the same time, and I'm sure you're aware you, you found this to be true too. People were then starting like zoom readings of plays. Mm-hmm. And I remember in particular the, um, the, as they did as a fundraiser, the original cast of The Princess Bride did this mm-hmm. reading live. Yeah. And I loved it. And you can't have a better script and you can't have a more talented cast. And it was enjoyable and I loved it. But it was also very sloppy um, because no one knew what the hell they were doing. No one had done it before. And we were talking and saying, there has to be a way of doing it better. And, you know, there, it's obviously fraught with lots of disadvantages. But I bet you there's some advantages to it if we can find out what they are. And so we were able to get this little company off the ground and um, we were able to get Marsha Mason to direct our first play, yeah. which, you know, made me thrilled because it happened, it happened to be a play of mine. And this is, you know, we do plays by a lot of people, but this play was by me. And so she agreed to do it, which is a thrill of a lifetime. And, but she said to me, I don't know how the hell to do this. I've never done this. And I, you know, and I said, well, no one's ever done this. And that's right. terrifying and fun. Um, and so we, worked on sort of developing an uh, you know for lack of a less pompous word an aesthetic um that we tried to hone and are still trying to hone um that made it look like as much as possible that the people are in the same room together mm-hmm. and acting on the same stage together they're not 
And of course, no one looking at it would be fooled that they are. Just like no one watching television is thinks, "Oh my God, that person's two foot tall." How, you know, uh, you, you just buy into it, you know, without thinking. Mm-hmm. And so after a minute, you get used to that. And uh, the aesthetic we had is we would have uh, the actors look into the camera, like a, so, it was like direct address constantly, even if they were talking to other characters. Um, and so the what ended up happening, we we discovered, is that it became incredibly intimate. Uh, there were a lot of audience members who felt that I felt like I was somehow in the scene. And uh, it also, and this is the thing it has in common, I think, with theater, is that I think it really uh, privileges language and text in a way that, say, like, you know, television and movies certainly don't. Um, it really does become about you and the words, uh, and, and which is, I think, an essential quality of theater. It's about, it's the language drives it. And I think that's true of this as well. And so we're very excited about it. We don't think it's actually, uh, we would never want it to, but we and also certainly don't think it could replace theater. Um, I think theater has an incredibly important role. And uh, it's going through an incredibly hard time uh, in a in a culture where it's always going through a hard time. But, you know, I, and I think it's probably always been the case. I think, I bet you, you know, people were saying to Euripides, you know, it wasn't like it used to be. And, <laughs> and I'm sure that's true, but I think... Uh, you know, theater will always find a way to survive. Uh, so when we formed the company, one of the biggest things we thought, you know what we can do because of this technology, sure, there are disadvantages, but we can do theatrical work to, for anyone in the world, mm-hmm. anywhere, and I and, and, for, and cheaply. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, for most Americans, and I think maybe most of the world, theater just isn't on their radar um, as, as a cultural option, even. And and I think the two big um, impediments to that has always been cost and geography. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people live near a theater that's doing serious work or attempting really professional level work? Well, this sort of allows people access to it. And so the idea of democratizing theater is great. And that doesn't mean we don't want to do actual theater. A lot of the actors and I do actual theater and I'd love to stage more plays of mine and, you know, in real life. But we think this medium isn't going to go away. And we think it actually that's actually a good thing. If, if you do it mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And that was Jericho, right? Was that through production? Jericho was the first one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly, I, I really appreciate the embrace of, especially somebody who works in new media, obviously, but I, mm-hmm. I, I it, it is, there's so much about theater that can be stuck in the mud and mm-hmm. reliant on like it, it, holding on with both hands to the way it was to and, and not even really the way it was but an idea of the way it yes. was you know yeah. way in the past yeah. and mm-hmm. it was very exciting in the pandemic to see the zoom presentation adapt over yes. time and like you say started yes. very sloppy but then people quickly got a handle on these productions, I mean, you had an up to stuff like Ratatouille, the musical, the TikTok musical that was hilarious mm. and, and mm. very well put together, doing sort of similar, like what you're talking about, barreling the camera, focusing on the background, wearing costumes, but again, like just in good fun, really. You yes. know, like it, it yes. feels like, hey, we're putting on a play, which is a very cool feeling and an aesthetic mm. I enjoy. And mm. it was very interesting with, even if I could talk about my own work for a second, a play I wrote. I haven't shut up about mine. So you know. well, but you're the guest. You're allowed to do that. Like this is yeah. my, I'm here. I'm here every episode. They they know. Yeah, me. but I, this, um, is, this is more different than how I normally am. So you you go ahead. There you go. Uh, as, uh, I wrote a, I wrote an adaptation of um, Peter Pan from Tinkerbell's point of view. Mm-hmm. 
titled Tinkerbell creatively. Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 there were several Zoom productions by uh, high schools over the uh, over the lockdown, which is very cool. But it it was really interesting to tune into them and see them evolve. And Mm. to the last one I saw, which was a fully like they really spent a lot of time with the kids working on like the parents holding flashlights to demonstrate different lighting styles and working with, and they didn't do any like complicated zoom green screen, like nothing. It It was all very simple. It was all in their homes, but they were, they were acting in the camera, you know, for yeah. towards each other. And it was so wonderful to watch because, mm. you know, you, I tune into these things and I, and I, you know, it, it's, it's a thrill to see it, but a lot of the times I'm sort of, you know, you get hung up on the details and I'm sort of like, yeah. Oh, wish that speech had been written better or something like yeah. that. But mm. that one, I was totally swept away. I was like, this is great. Mm. This is like, I'm watching this thing from a totally different point of view. And I felt that way. With watching, uh, I didn't watch everything on your website, obviously, but like clicking through the things that are there and watching Jericho, Two Sisters and a Piano and the things like that and going like, oh, like this is really, this is thought through Zoom theater. Mm. And that's, yeah. that's really, really cool to see and to see it evolve even past yeah. like, there's the, you know, what, what, and then you guys are also evolving as I understand you you have a play coming out in podcast format. Is that correct? And yeah, in, it's in actually out yeah. already. In oh, the- okay. Yeah, and we'll definitely be out when this airs. Yeah, it's um, great. Yeah, and uh, it's that to me That's is another step eight, right? Is that the step the nine? Name of it? Step nine. Step it's nine. Oh, step, step nine. No, oh, okay. kidding. it's um, it's uh, it's the um, it, it the step nine. Uh, the title comes from uh, there's someone in the play who is who is in um, uh, uh, in recovery for alcoholism, and you go through the twelve ah, steps. Mm-hmm. Step nine is the step in which you try to make amends, and uh, and that plays out but we you know our budget wasn't as 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 frankly as strong as it was for the first season so but we wanted to do like a serious one serious play at least like a full production and uh you know audio plays are making a little bit of a comeback i think audible is really investable and of course in the uk it's always been a thing it's never oh yeah yeah it's amazing yeah 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 i mean it makes up i mean so many things they have i mean except for the food and uh, and the, the dentistry, de- and, right. yeah, the dentistry is yeah, <laughs> problematic. Um, but I, you know, I might trade that for really good radio plays. And yeah, so we decided to we decided to do it as a radio play. And, the, and I, again, this this feels like I, I'm compelled to point out that we do lots of other writers, lots of other plays. It, it's right. Another play of mine. You're the, you're the guest, Jack. We're talking about you today. It's very, yeah. Know, it's no, fun. I mean, <laughs> and obviously everyone said to me, Jack, we have to do your play. It's right, the best. Yeah. No, uh, they, but it was it was a good choice for. Um, and if anyone uh, on the board is listening to that, you know, they're they're laughing. Um, but right. <laughs> uh, it, it was a good choice. We, we we think it. We do think it's a good play. But we also it was a great choice for this because it's um, seven characters, which ridiculously is very problematic if you want to stage a play uh, in terms of budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, Jericho, um, which had a very nice run and was Broadway and did very well and published and and you should buy several copies on Amazon. But I had several theaters come to me and say, well, we'd love to do the play. It's just too many people, too, too large a cast. It's a cast of six. Yeah. And that's sort of where we're at now. And you think back to- Oh, like, yeah. Four is pushing to, it. Four, yeah. It is, you know? Four and is pushing it, yeah. It really is. And uh, I mean, you think back to the great plays in the 40s and 50s, like Death of a Salesman and Streetcar and Desire. Streetcar and Desire had one guy whose job it is to, is to say red hot, and then he goes off. And that's that's a sweet gig, by the way. And oh, yeah. so um, it's just not a- I mean, a, 
Our town has what twenty six characters in it, speaking roles. Something I mean, like it's that. you know, yeah, yeah it's yeah. big, Definitely. you know, different, yeah. And very, so, very we, yeah, and so this is less expensive to produce, and so I mean, by no means free. It was less expensive to produce, uh, and also it was a longer play. I mean, I think it's just just as exactly as long as it needs to be to tell the story, but mm. it sort of therefore made it easier to break up into episodes. Um, and so it's actually eight episodes. If we were smart, we would have made it nine, but oh, um, yeah, I know, yeah. but we couldn't really justify it. Um, dramatically, it just made sense to put it into eight, put and so eight. yeah, yeah. And, and one of the reasons to do it, a big reason to do it, is it's free, it's completely mm-hmm. free, and it's sort of taking our, our uh, core tenet of let's make theater and or theatrical experiences and plays accessible to anyone in the world who who wants them assuming they have internet and that's hopefully most people and it's it's available and we're very we're very proud of the work jill eikenberry is wonderful in it uh she was for people of a certain age will know she was a big star in la law and uh she's won golden globes and and uh we've been lucky to have a lot of people um join us uh two sisters and piano is a play by nilo cruz who won the pulitzer prize for anna in the tropics and it starred jimmy smiths and daphne rubin vega so we're very uh, happy with with all of the plays, but certainly with a lot of people who who thought, yeah, this is an interesting idea. I'll I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try this. Um, and I think that the audio audio plays, or you know, I, I I've started calling them radio plays because I think that's like more easy for people to uh, hear. So yeah. it's, a, it's a radio play on a podcast platform, and right. or all podcast platforms, as it turns out, and that's a wonderful form of drama too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really making a comeback. Like he's like, Amazon and Audible seems to have gone all in mm-hmm. on this, which is great. Yes. I think that yeah. it's a really, you know, it's it's a very logical thing to do. And there are so many scripts that will benefit from this kind of Absolutely. production. Hard crashing back into Guys and Dolls. I have to ask, mm-hmm. though, yeah. Jack, what mm-hmm. is your favorite song in Guys and Dolls? Though I think I know the answer. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's actually not Luck Be a Lady. Um, oh, really? Uh, okay. I mean, it's a brilliant, it, it's a wonderful song. Let's, I, just, let's take it for uh, established that every song in that is, is pretty damn yeah, good. it's really great. Um, yeah. In fact, when I was listening, re-listening to it, it was such a pleasure because I hadn't heard it in years. And, I th- and, um, and like I heard Marry the Man Today, which I had thought, I never thought much of the song. And I'm like, that's actually a great song. I oh, mean, yeah. totally uh, cancelable by today's standards, but, um, you know, sure. totally brilliant wow. and fun and, and clever. Slowly introduce him to the better thing. His digest, Guy Lombardo, Rogers Peach, Golf, Galoshes, Ovaltine. But marry the man today, handle it meek and gently. Marry the man today and train him subsequently. Okay, I would say it might well be, it might well be, um, oldest established. There's just oh really yeah um there's it's just it's a great song and the, the 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 cleverness of the lyric the wit of the lyric I mean the fact that you know they're, they're apparently one of their places regular places was the back of the police station and, right um and it's just you know the the the, the dynamic change the tempo change and mm-hmm. um, and yet. So just as a song to hum along with, I think it's as good as any song in the play. And um, and just the, the, the cleverness, the oldest 
established permanent floating crap game in New York. Who mm-hmm. can make a, who thinks, oh, that's going to be a good title or mm-hmm. a good thing to sing because it's so clunky, but it's clunkiness is its beauty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it goes in these great choruses to like these small little, uh, it starts off slow. It's just, I'm obviously doing a horrible job describing it. Um, but yeah, I just love it. There's an energy to it that I find you're in, you know, just, I can't escape it. Oh, it's such a fun fun song and has such, yeah. like you say so many great little mrs mccluskey and a good scout like little great yeah. lines and in, in the bit there that are just so much fun yeah it really paints a wonderful picture of of the world that those and you've established, yeah, you've established the entire world the entire mm-hmm. dilemma and i learned a lot about the characters and by the way you've done it in one of the most enjoyable tunes you're ever going to hear jack this is wonderful to to chat with you about all these things people can find you at jackcanforawriter.com yes and you can also find new normal rep which we really hope you'll find uh mm-hmm. a we have a uh, we have a youtube page which we're very uh excited about uh and that's you just look up new normal rep uh, on youtube and then we have a page um which has a lot of extra materials like sketches and uh, short plays and um and for the listeners of this program um if you go to our website which we also want you to visit which is www.newnormalrep.org if you then go forward slash uh bonus it will take you to see jericho uh for free it's a it's a full-length produced play starring jill i can Barry and uh, directed by Marsha Mason. Uh, and if so you go in, uh, it'll give you the password. You ask for a password, and the password is all capital letters NNR 2022. All right. It, it's free, so you're going to get your money's worth. It, you it, should it, check it out. I I, yeah. I checked it out. It's great. It's so much fun. It's And it's right there to watch. So, yes. yeah. And like you said, it's free. So enjoy. <laughs> take, yeah. take, take the free thing, everybody. Exactly. Yeah, go, right. get, go get the free thing. There'll be a link along with that password in the show notes. So if you didn't, if you didn't, you didn't have to write it down quickly when Jack was saying it. Yeah. Um, this was so wonderful, Jack. Thank you so much. I had a great time. I think we should, you know, after this stops, let's uh, let's do an impromptu guys and dolls. I mean, I'm down. There for we it. go. There yeah. we are. There we <laughs> Everyone wants to see that. I think, be- exactly. you know what, Jack? You know, Jack, I think people need to see that. <laughs> the Biltmore Garage wants a grand, but we ain't got a grand on hand. And they've now got a lock on the door of the gym at PS84. There's the stockroom behind McCluskey's bar. But Mrs. McCluskey ain't a good scout. And things being how they are, the back of the police station is out. So the Biltmore Garage is the spot. But the 1,000 bucks we ain't got. Why, it's good old reliable Nathan, 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 Nathan Detroit. If you're looking for action, he'll furnish a spot. Even when the heat is on, it's never too hot. Not for good old reliable Nathan, for it's always just a short walk to the oldest established permanent floating crab game in New York. There are well-heeled shooters everywhere, everywhere. There are well-heeled shooters everywhere. And an awful lot of lettuce for the fellow who can get us there. If we only had a lousy little grant, we could be a millionaire. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. 
Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash originalcastpod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. On the socials, we're at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Jack Kenfora for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have rehearsal. It's the oldest established.